Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. The Gospel of Acts again, chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. You recognize that we've been preaching a lot of sermons here recently from the book of Acts. And I've got some more yet to go. I'm not sure just when I'm going to quit. But I believe they're important for us as a church to see what the early church experienced. In Acts chapter 9, we have the episode of Saul, or soon to become Paul. And yet Saul... And Saul, yet, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of his way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. He said unto uh, and he said, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. Here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me thou mightest receive thy sight and he and be filled with the Holy Ghost. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let us pray. Now our Father in the few minutes that we will deliberate upon your word we pray that your spirit would be with us our hearts and our minds would be open and receptive to the outpouring of your spirit upon us as we attempt to understand the meaning of the experience of Paul as he came to know you. This we pray through Christ our Savior. Amen. 
apologize for having to stumble a little bit over the reading. I've got trifocals that are new, and I'm having a terrible time figuring out which one of those things to look through. And they sort of jump around on me a little bit. I'm going to learn one of these days how to do it. But I haven't got to accomplish quite yet. About the time I think I'm on one line, I jump to the one below it or something. So I think I can read better than, than I have today. We made reference to the fact that Paul had his first experience toward conversion when he observed the stoning of Stephen. It had quite an impact on him, but the first impact that it had was to turn him harder against the church and against the gospel than he'd ever been. He became very adamant in his desire to stamp out the word of God, to stamp out the church. I, I, let me back up, not to stamp out the word of God because he believed in God, that is, as far as the Old Testament was concerned. But that which the apostles were preaching, he wanted it stamped out. He believed earnestly, at least he thought he did, that, that there ought not be this thing called Christianity, that, that the apostles were teaching something that was anti-God. He was fighting very, very bitterly against his own conversion and didn't know it. And those of you who have seen people do that can be aware of that, this very fact. Many people fight so extremely hard against the church, against the gospel, against the Holy Spirit, and the reason they are is they are under deep conviction. They are resisting giving their life to the Lord. Paul could not avoid the evidence that was presented to him in the person of Stephen. I know that you have heard many sermons preached on this subject, and I've preached some, I think, even since I've been here. But I want to look at it in somewhat a different light this evening than perhaps I have in the past. In the very first verse, we find that he increased his efforts to stamp out Christianity to the point that he was causing people to be put to death. Slaughter is the word used in the first verse. That's nothing more than murder. In order to get rid of the church. There are people who would like to get rid of the church and we find this in our world. Uh, wherever you turn, there is some group, some person who would love to stamp out the church and its influence. Who would like to take prayer out of, of all things that are public functions. And there is a, a wee bit of merit to some of the things they're saying, but for the most part, it's an effort to resist the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives is, is really what they're up against. So he put all of his energy into stamping out these new converts. Nobody could reason with him. There was not an apostle even James, that you heard about this evening, could not possibly talk to Paul and convince him that what he was doing was wrong. Peter could not accomplish it. There was no man on the earth at that time that had any influence over Paul except the man who had the nail prints in his hands. And as Paul made his way toward Damascus, for the same purpose that he had been 
putting people in chains now for quite some time. During the day as he made his way, and some people think that it was noontime, when the sun was bright, there was a brighter light even yet that shined from heaven down upon Paul and the party that was with him to the point that he was struck blind. A light from heaven that made the noonday light absolutely pale. Over in Revelation chapter 23, we have the discussion that there will be no need of the sun in heaven for the Lord God will give them light. In the fifth verse of chapter 23 of Revelation, the Lord God will give them light. The Lord is described throughout the scripture as being light. In him is light and there is no darkness at all is one passage of scripture that we have. And so the Lord from heaven shined down upon Paul and his party and caused something to happen. Paul was not a case that Philip could handle. Paul, Philip could go to the Ethiopian. Philip could even deal with Simon uh, Magus, but, but Philip could not deal with Paul. There are some people in this world that there is no man that can influence them. We might as well understand that. And I think we need to understand as a church that there are some people in this world that none of us can reach, but others perhaps might. And I know that there are people that I might as well be quiet and say nothing to, for my influence over them is absolutely zip. Whereas it might be that your influence is, is it's possible for you to say something or do something that will cause them to, to consider what you're wanting to say. Some people will slam the door in your face and they will let me in. And so it's possible that we all have our little niche that we can talk and say something to some people. But there are some that all of us might as well do nothing with, stay quiet, because we're going to do nothing more than make them more bitter. And this was what was happening to Paul. Every man that tried to talk with him was driving Paul into more determination to persecute the church. There was only one individual in this whole world that was going to convert Paul to Jesus Christ, and that was Jesus Christ himself. Nobody else was going to, uh, to turn Paul's head. No one was going to listen to the gospel preached by anybody except it would be Jesus, and this is exactly what happened. And that light shined down upon Paul, and he instinctively dropped to his knees. And a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, that's an interesting phrase. For as far as we know, our man Paul had never even spoken to the Lord Jesus. Had never perhaps even seen him. We don't know that. But yet, God in heaven, Jesus Christ the Son spoke to Paul and said, why are you persecuting me? Whenever you do something to your head, you affect your entire body, do you not? Jesus is the head of the church, and whatever affects the head of the church affects the entire body. 
whatever affects the body will be recognized and felt in the head. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told us that he said, well, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What was he talking about? He had just gone through the discourse of saying I was sick and I was in prison and I was hungry and I was naked and ye did or did not do anything for me. And the apostles responded, well, Lord, when did we see thee hunger or sick or in prison or naked in clothing and so on? And Jesus said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. My point is, whatever we do to each other, you can bet we're doing that to Jesus Christ. You take my name in vain, it doesn't bother me any as nearly, well, I won't say that quite, it will bother me, but it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it bothers Jesus Christ. It is his name that is being trampled because I'm a part of his body. When somebody criticizes this church, it's going to hurt the body. But listen, more importantly, it's going to hurt the head of this church. When somebody takes the name of the Lord in vain, it may affect me personally. But it is not my name that's being taken in vain. I had an employer one time who was bad to curse, and he took the Lord's name in vain, and he turned to me and, and apologized and said, uh, I'm sorry, Jim, and I said to him, don't apologize to me, that was not my name that you were using. I visited a person in the hospital just recently, and in the process of the visitation, uh, another lady in the room, well, two other ladies, one of them was a member of the Church of Christ, and one of them didn't go to church anywhere, and as we conversed, I asked the lady from the Church of Christ where she went, and she said, I go to the Church of Christ so-and-so, and I waited. The other lady just didn't volunteer any answers, just, just sat there in bed. So I finally said, and where do you go? She lived in, in Nitro. And she said, I don't go to church anywhere, I'm sorry to say. And I said, you don't have to apologize to me. It's the head that gets the hurt. That feels the pain. That feels the agony. And here was Paul wreaking out havoc upon the church. And the head of the church says, why are you persecuting me? Paul says, well, who are you? The Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Verse 6 says that Paul was trembling and astonished. I can imagine he was really astonished. For what he had said he believed, now he discovered, was absolutely a falsehood. He believed that Jesus was an imposter, and now he finds out that Jesus is really the Son of God. Now all around him were the people who went with him. They heard a noise. They heard a voice. They looked around. They didn't see anybody. But Paul heard and Paul understood. One of the things that frightens me in preaching is knowing that there is probably one person in a congregation that needs to hear what's being said. And I never know who that is. 
It's almost shocking to me when after the fact, after the sermon, I get a telephone call or somebody speaks to me and I began to realize that the message was sinking deep into one person's heart out of the whole crowd. And that makes it all worthwhile. Bill, if you haven't had this experience yet, you will. In feeling that when you're standing behind this pulpit, you have utterly failed, absolutely down to earth, failed in what you were trying to do. The sermons fell as flat as it could be. Nothing made sense. You feel like crawling in a hole. I have felt that many times, only to discover after the fact that there was one person that was listening and it sunk deep into one heart. And Paul was this one man. He saw nobody, but he understood the voice. They had eyes and they saw nothing. Paul now was blind and he for the first time was seeing everything. And there he was in darkness rethinking his theology. He had to rethink all that he had learned. Paul had to be brought to his knees before he could look up. And this is true of us all. When we get so high and mighty to think that we are always right and everybody else is wrong, to think that we're the only person that's walking the straight and narrow, to think that everybody is off base except me, the Lord may have to bring us down, put us to our knees before we can rethink our theology. Theology is nothing more than the study of God, to rethink our relationship to God. For the first time in Paul's life, he didn't know what to do. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, it's interesting, the Lord has brought Paul to his knees. And now he turns Paul over to a man. The Lord did not say, now Paul, what I want you to do is go to Arabia and spend three years there and I'm going to teach you everything you ought to know. He said, I want you to go on into Damascus of all places to send him. And I want you to wait there and it'll be told you what to do. The Lord uses his people. There was a man by the name of Ananias who was a priest, but many priests were believing in Jesus. And there he was. And the Lord said to Ananias, I want you to go and find Paul and I want you to instruct him. He is a chosen vessel to me and Ananias tries to enlighten the Lord on who this man really is. Isn't it amazing that we know more than God? Lord, I've heard a lot about him. He's an evil man. He's come here to arrest us all and send us to prison. You think the Lord didn't already know that? I wonder sometimes how, how God can have patience with us when we seem to know so much. Just like our kids. They always know more than mom and dad. I knew more than my mother and dad did when I was a teenager, didn't you? 
I had all the answers. And they got smarter when I got older. <laughs> He's a smart man today. He wasn't too smart when I was a teenager. We deal this same way with God and think we've got to have the answers and explain everything to Him. And the Lord already knows. He said, you go on and you talk to him, for he is a chosen vessel of me. I have selected him to go to the Gentiles, to go to the kings of the earth, and to go to Israel. Moses and Paul have a lot in common in that they were selected for a specific purpose. And Ananias goes to him and does something that I... Uh, would be surprised if most of us would be willing to do. He went in and took Saul by the hand and called him brother. He said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul, a man who came here to persecute the church and a priest, a Christian priest, reaches out his hand and takes him by the hand and put, perhaps puts his arm around him and calls him brother. Because he now was, brother, for the Lord God had saved this man's soul. And the miracle of rebirth took place in Saul. And we are brothers and sisters, exactly as Elizabeth talked about this evening. We're brothers and sisters in Christ within the church. There is uh, a hymn that sometimes we sing. It's called, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds Our Hearts in Christian Love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like that above. What is the binding force that makes us brothers and sisters? And we used to use those terms in church all the time. It's sort of gone out of, out of style to call someone brother or sister. But we are indeed because we have the same father. We have the same elder brother who saved us all. So we can reach out to that person who was lost and who now is saved and call them brother. A chosen vessel. There may be a chosen vessel in this congregation tonight. God has selected you for a specific purpose. Do you know it? Or are you yet to be brought to your knees? You've got to be blinded to the world before you can be enlightened God. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.